Today's School PR Drive Time is brought to you by Blackboard. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Dr. Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the director of communications for Buncombe County Schools. In today's episode, we're going to explore the topic of conversational civility in crisis. As school communicators, we know the importance of conveying a message accurately and being able to address any feedback, questions, or concerns from our stakeholders. But as we'll discuss today, the process has become broken in many ways and for many reasons. Joining me is Sarah Broberg, president of SB Corporate Consultancy and the founding president of PRSA of Western North Carolina. We've got a lot to cover today. Let's start the show. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to School PR Drive Time. To start us off, tell me a little bit about your background in PR and communications. Thank you, Stacia. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It always seems weird to kind of toot your own horn, but if any time's the time, now's the time to do it. So uh, I am a multi-award winning uh, communication and marketing strategist uh, with over 20 plus years of C-suite experience, um, specifically across the Middle East, Africa, Europe, as well as the United States. Uh, I have sort of plenty of experience uh, managing communication and crises across continents and industries. Um, and my strategies to sort of help clients successfully navigate issues issues across a variety of sectors. Um, that includes anything from uh, the Arab Spring to high-profile national issues related to free speech uh, issues in the United States to navigating the internal and external communication strategies of the and challenges of the pandemic uh, in a university setting, uh, which led me to today's topic, frankly. Um, I have a kind of interesting depth and breadth of uh, crisis and reputation management experience um, that's sort of backed by theoretical uh, and practical best practice and innovation. Wonderful intro. Um, you toot your own horn well. It's great. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about um, a, a crisis in conversational civility. And as as you alluded to um, in your intro, I think as uh, school communicators and really just people living in the world, I think we can all relate and all understand kind of how how spicy things have gotten uh, just in the process of trying to connect and communicate with with one another. So uh, from your perspective, uh, let's just start off um, with a with a great question. You know, why do you feel our, our conversational and communication skills are in crisis? Yeah. So maybe it's a great to first define what conversational civility is. It's really sort of an engagement in discourse, conversation uh, that's intended to enhance understanding. So it's discourse that, su- discourse that supports rather than undermines the societal good. Um, And so effectively, that means, you know, communicating in ways that are are conducive to sharing and understanding information, perspectives, viewpoints, rather than detracting from them. Um, And, you know, this sort of increasingly divisive and polarized perspectives and viewpoints of of folks sort of in our communities, across the nation, across the world, frankly, um, you know, has been something that we've all been been privy to and witness to and on the receiving end of um, in in recent years, um, the Public Relations Society of America white paper uh, titled Modeling Civility, How Public Relations Professionals Can Restore Quality, Integrity, and Inclusiveness to Civil Discourse. It's quite a title, um, but it really outlines uh, this topic very well in that public dialogues today are sort of celebrated for 
what they not necessarily for what they accomplish, but for whom they divide. Right. So you see this clickbait everywhere. You kind of see like, you know, the sensationalized headlines. Um, so it's not just media, um, but it's sort of in, in every sector. We, we kind of find this this desire to um, uh, sort of the well-intentioned efforts at constructive debate are sort of derailed oftentimes by one sided diatribes um, that are aimed at not necessarily finding common ground, but at perpetuating disagreements, um, you know, sort of you're, you're either with me or against me, a type of perspectives and viewpoints that are really counterproductive um, and demeaning um, sort of the goodwill of, of, of what conversational civility is and, and sort of the, the foundations of our, of our society. Um, and sort of this degradation of civil discourse doesn't just undermine our nation's fundamental civic values as, as a democracy, but it also permeates our interactions at work, at the dinner table, um, in our communities, and certainly online, um, which is probably where we 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 almost um, experience that. And I, I just want to be clear, though, that this is not necessarily an entirely new phenomenon. Uh, so although the corrosion of civility has been amplified in recent years, these declining norms of civil engagement have been a growing problem for at least the decade. And some interesting research from Weber, Shanwick, Powell, Tate, and KRC research, um, which has been tracking incivility since 2010, has found that those numbers have remained relatively unchanged uh, since from 2010 to their last survey on incivility in 2019. And that's that 93% of those polled believe that incivility is a problem. Wow, those numbers are are. Um, gosh, it, it's kind of it's kind of shocking, um, and and certainly as school PR practitioners, we've we felt that just over the last couple of years, as we sort of uh, struggled with this community conversation with parents and stakeholders, and how do we do school safely uh, in the middle of a pandemic? Um, so, which leads to my next question: uh, How does all of this impact school PR practitioners? Oh well, I think that the impact is has been clear to so many of us who are who are in in this line of work um, and who've experienced firsthand uh, this sort of the advent of, of uh, conversational incivility uh, over the over the pandemic, particularly. Um, sort of, I like to consider us sort of the frontline workers when it comes to communication with our constituencies and. As a result, we often bear the brunt of, of this sort of conversational uh, civility crisis. There are several factors that have contributed to this rise in incivility, uh, you know, just kind of quickly, obviously social media, the anonymity of social media on the internet, the mental fatigue, right? When we're all tired mentally, like we tend to, to tend to not necessarily make the, make, make the best judgment calls in our communication. Um, the rise of uh, sort of incivility in film and television, so glamorizing, um, idolizing uh, sort of negative behavior, bad behavior, um, incivil behavior and, and conversations. Um, another topic that I sort of refer to as home training, which is sort of like we're not necessarily teaching our kids anymore uh, what are what are conversational norms, uh, what are what are best practices um, in terms of engaging and communicating with others. Certainly, politics. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to say more than that. Um, and then. I, I kind of group these all sort of related to the pandemic, the stress, isolation, and fear. Um, so what's really interesting about that research, I said 93% of those polled believed incivility was a problem, is that that poll was from 2019, right? So that's pre-pandemic. So you can only imagine that those numbers have increased as we've all felt the 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 
the the deep impact of of the global pandemic. Um, and so the stress, isolation, and fear cannot be um, discounted in terms of of the rise in the in the the ways in which um, we're we're more polarized in our in our conversations. Um, and research has shown that incivility has significant and numerous impacts uh, on individuals and society, um, and including economic, health, safety, and society as a whole. Um, so I'll just kind of run through some stats here because I found these to be fascinating. So from an economic perspective, incivility, uh, according to a 2016 study that was published uh, by the Journal of Applied Psychology, that workplace incivility costs companies $14,000 per employee in lost productivity and work time. That's annually. And additionally, the Risk and Insurance Magazine reported in 2017 that episodes of workplace violence as a result of incivility cost U.S. employers $4.2 billion every year. Those are real numbers. So if you just think per employee, $14,000 in lost productivity annually, that's a significant um, uh, impact to, to the bottom line, to the revenue generation and the productivity of any, of any organization. An interesting um, perspective from, uh, from the health impact, Christine Porath, she's one of the leading researchers in the field of workplace civility. Highly recommend um, you check out her, her YouTube um, uh, TED Talks. Um, but she wrote that experiencing or even witnessing incivility can lead to stress, feelings of fear and anger, reduced capacity to absorb information, impaired short-term memory and cognition, and a lack of creativity, including reduced job satisfaction, work quality, aimlessness, and a willingness to quit. So that's, I found that fascinating that experiencing or even witnessing just seeing incivility in the workplace can have all of those impacts. And it can even cause a weakened immune system and damage your relationship with your family because you, we all take this home at the end of the day, right? So uh, unfortunately that's something and particularly in the pandemic, our home was our workplace. And so the feelings were even more acute. Regarding safety, uh, incivility can lead to violence as, as people who feel mistreated sometimes lash out. And in fact, Risen Insurance Magazine reported that workplace violence ends 1,000 lives annually. Uh, another topic related to safety, another um, statistic is that specifically 73% of people surveyed for that 2019 Weber-Shanwick poll said that they believe incivility leads to political gridlock, which makes it impossible for needed laws to get passed. Again, keep in mind, this is 2019. So certainly, as everything that we've witnessed since 2019, I can't imagine that those numbers have decreased at all. Additionally, 71% believe that incivility uh, leads to political disengagement. 61% said it deters from entering public service. And overall, though, 89% um, said civility is crucial for democracy. So you can see how those numbers are, are really in, in tension with one another. Um, the vast majority of those polled believe that incivility brings about a host of other societal problems and outside of politics, right? So that includes issues related to cyberbullying. They said 89% believe that incivility leads to cyberbullying and harassment, 88%. And 88% also said violent behavior as well as hate crimes. So that's those are those are not insignificant numbers. Those are not insignificant um, impacts to safety uh, in our communities and, and among our, our colleagues and loved ones. 
societally. I sort of mentioned home training a little bit earlier. And so um, what the research has found is that children who are exposed to incivility at home, so similar to what Christine Porath said in the workplace, right, even if you're witnessing it, whether it's in the workplace or at home, um, they emulate it and ultimately internalize it. So while you know polit politics are obviously and unquestionably a, a contributing factor, it's society that ultimately bears responsibility for those weakened norms of disclosure. And so, you know, if we're talking back back to sort of you know school school PR practitioners, communicators, so we're we're dealing with those children in in the classroom and in those settings and those parents as well who who are having to try to navigate all of this. You can obviously see it's just sort of a perfect combination of of really challenging circumstances that that in the end we have to try to help navigate. Um, so those are some pretty sobering statistics. It is. And it's so, um, it, I mean, it's, it's both fascinating and terrifying to kind of see all these stats and, and to really unpack this issue. And certainly as a, as a person, just living in the world, spending time on the internet, I absolutely experienced this, this incivility. Um, I hope I'm not, um, I hope I'm not, you know, on bad behavior when I'm interacting with people, um, on the internet, but certainly, certainly something to reflect on. Um, and, and then of course, you know, when it comes back to our, our jobs as school communicators, how can all of, of this knowledge and, and again, this just reflecting on kind of where we are as a society in, in, our, in our interactions with each other, how, how does this impact how we do our jobs? Oh, gosh. And how well, do we I overcome it? Yes. So I really believe that it starts with understanding how the conversational civility crisis affects us first as individuals as professionals, as family members, as members of our community, and then really seeking to understand um, our own conversational habits and biases, as well as those of our audiences, our constituencies, um, our stakeholders with whom we engage. So I really truly believe it comes foundationally from a a willingness to seek out knowledge and understand ourselves and, and those with whom we communicate wonderful way to, to start this uh this podcast um so we do want to take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna we're gonna unpack this a little bit more and we're gonna talk about understanding our audience and improving the culture of communication and how as school pr practitioners we have such an important role uh, in that process so stay with us everyone you're listening to school pr drive time Blackboard is a leading ed tech company that partners with K-12, higher education, business, and government clients around the world. Their mission to advance learning doesn't just stop in the classroom. They serve all aspects of education with solutions that cover community engagement, teaching and learning, and digital accessibility. They're proud to partner with North Carolina districts to ensure all learners have access to a quality education. Here at NCSPRA, we thank Blackboard for their continued support of this podcast and all of our efforts to improve school communications throughout North Carolina and beyond. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to School PR Drive Time. Sarah Broberg, president of SB Corporate Consultancy, is our guest, and we're exploring the topic of conversational civility and why it's in crisis. So we want to kick off this part of the conversation by discussing the importance of knowing your audience. Thank you, Stacia. Again, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so really, the the 
sort of we kind of started talking about the importance of understanding yourself and understanding your audience in order to build some common ground, some common understandings to help try to bridge this this issue of of conversational incivility um, or this crisis of, of conversational civility that that we all find ourselves um, in in the midst of uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, how does that start? How do you start by building common ground? Well, sort of the tenets of good conversational leadership, as we call it, right? So as PR practitioners, I feel, you know, we we are well equipped to be to be the leaders of, of our of our conversations uh, with our constituents. And there are kind of four uh, key tenants, I, I sort of like to say that sort of lead that that conversational leadership. And the first is uh, creating intimacy. So really um, creating a sense of emotional or mental intimacy. It's about trust and authenticity. So finding ways that you can you can relate to the audience member in front of you, your audiences, thinking about the ways that the messages that'll be most relevant to them, the authenticity of it, the accuracy of, of what you're trying to convey, um, and being really straightforward um, in, in, in the, the terms that we're conveying um, so that they, they feel that sense, of that sense of intimacy as if you're speaking with them directly. We'll talk a little bit more about the details of that coming up. It's also about the interactivity. So it's a two-way or multi-way conversation. So it's not just a, oh, you know, I'm 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 talking at you. I want to engage in dialogue. So thinking about ways that we can um ensure that we're having a real back and forth with our audience members where the act of listening modifies what you're thinking and what you're saying. I think we've all been involved in conversations from time to time where you just feel that your conversation is going nowhere, that the other person is just thinking about what their next point is going to be, rather than really taking in your, your perspectives and your viewpoints that might modify the conversation or change or, or change perspectives or viewpoints in a way. Um, we also, you know, using technology is a key, a key important component of that. Um, so whether that's on social media, whether that's by email, whether it's text messaging, or there's a variety of different technology tools that we can use um, to support interactivity among the communications uh, with our with our audiences. Inclusion is a huge part of this, right? So allowing more people to have a voice in the conversation. So inclusion is going to drive engagement and engagement is going to drive more effort and effort will drive individual performance and, 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 and the results hopefully that we're looking for. So, right. So it's not just if we're looking internally, so that's going to support the engagement and and the, the the production of your of your internal workforce or your employees. Um, but the same is true for your external audiences, right? So the more that you can include them in the conversation, the more people who feel that they're that 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 you're representing their voice and their viewpoints to to a point, um, the the more likely you are to have that interactivity, the more likely you are to foster that sense of authenticity and intimacy. And then intentionality is sort of the fourth tenet of good conversational leadership. So making sure that you have a goal in mind. So, you know, as PR practitioners, I think we're all really clear that we don't just communicate for the sake of communicating, uh, right? Because there's plenty of chatter out there. Uh, we don't need to add to the fray, uh, but it's really about understanding very clearly what your intentions are with your communication. So the intentionality there, using your conversation to set the tone, your messaging to set that, that tone and the direction to achieve that goal, right? So including sort of thinking about what are your calls to action? What are those messages that are going to be authentic, that are really going to resonate that are going to feel inclusive to your audiences. Um, and so 
part of the ways that we we need to kind of you know that we can help support good conversational leadership in these four tenets is trying to do some research right so determining who your audience is so looking at your demographic info looking at the possible the possible similarities and differences among the demographics of your various audiences i will tell you one of my pet peeves as as a communicator is when you ask someone well who's your audience and they say well everyone <laughs> So, um, okay, let's dial that in a little bit and, and really look and see, you know, who are we speaking to? Who are our most important audiences? Digging into that demographic info, looking at the similarities, the differences, their values, their beliefs, their attitudes. So, and 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 writing that down, whether you got a matrix for that or just a, a Word document or something where you're you're tracking that demographic info to determine who your audience really is. Considering what's on their minds. So again, doing the research. So what are they trying to tell you? Is are they are, are they reaching out proactively to communicate to you? What are they saying? What are the what are the key messages that they're driving? Right? What are the word choices that they're using? What type of a conversation are you having? Right. So there's this, this great graph that you know you find it online that talks about sort of the different the sort of intersection of, of different types of communication styles from a diatribe to a diatribe to you know a, a two-way conversation to a you know one one-way conversation. Um, and so really understanding the type of conversation you're having and what's the type of conversation you want to have, because as a conversational leader, you have the opportunity to help change the dynamic of that conversation. Um, but doing the research and the homework in advance is important. So we're determining who our audience is, we're considering what's on their minds, and we also want to think about what we want them to know, right? So this goes back again to the intentionality. So what's your objective? What are the most important messages or the most important message at this time that you're trying to convey? And what do you want them to do? Do you want them to take action? Do you just want them to feel heard? That's that's absolutely relevant as mm -hmm. a goal, is being really clear about, about what you want them to know in the context of this particular conversation and topic. And then think about what you want them to think feel or do based on what you tell them. So again, that's the call to action or the next steps in that conversation. What's the emotional driver behind this, right? So we'll talk a little bit more about the psychology of communication uh, coming up. And, and really it's about tapping in to those emotional motivators, those drivers, those oftentimes, and we've seen it loud and clear, so many of us as, as school practitioners and P, uh, PR practitioners over the pandemic that, that those emotions take take front and center um, in communications and, and conversation, that's really important to hone in on so that we can try to, to move the conversation forward in a productive way. And then decide what's the best way to communicate that information, right? So our, you know, is, is this a conversation that's better had in person, by phone, email? Maybe we need to do it in a group setting. Are there a bunch of people who have the same viewpoint that, you know, we need to bring them together to really come to, to, to consensus on, on next steps or, or, or calls to action? Um, and certainly consider that demographic information, your research, um, when you're grouping your folks together. Um, you want to, you know, depending on your objective, you may want to have like-minded individuals uh, in the same group, or you might want to have some with with opposing viewpoints, um, depending on on again what your what your objectives are and the intentionality there. 
I think those four tenets, they're so important. And I do want to lift up um, one point that, that sort of resonated with me is allowing people to have a voice. Um, it, it's reminiscent of a, a podcast um, we did a few months ago, especially if, if a school system, say, is debating some sort of hot button issue, whether it's redistricting or, or uh, maybe it's um, how to spend bond funds, something along those lines. People want to be heard. And, and I think it's so important to create a setting where you could acknowledge people's, their thoughts, their feelings, their opinions, but not necessarily make it like whoever yells the loudest, quote, wins and gets their way, because that's not how a conversation works necessarily. But I think you'll find success and you'll find that you've done allowing that person to have their voice correctly when they don't, quote, get their way, but they can still live with with the decision functionally. And I think, um, especially with, with you know, the times we're living in, uh, to me, that's success. And, and, and I'd call it good. Absolutely. So, uh, Sarah, switching gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the culture of conversation and how, um, and why that's so important for us to understand. And, and what does this mean to you? Mm, so the culture of conversation is so fascinating to me, having, you know, lived, uh, lived in, in some very diverse uh, countries in, in my time in the Middle East and North Africa and, and, and elsewhere, and certainly here in the United States. So I've always been fascinated about this sort of shared understanding of words, frames of reference, um, experiences, lived experiences that we all use um, to create the culture of conversation. So um, the, the sort of, it's def really defined culture is defined as the customs, the arts, the social institutions, and the achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group, right? And so one of the ways that we identify cultural communities is by the ways of speaking. So a speech community sort of defines a group not strictly by ethnicity, region, or religion, or other cultural markers, but by speech codes. And so what are speech codes? Well, really, they're sort of patterned ways of speaking that are shared um, among different community members. So, you know, we might say a, a, a sort of a fun example that I give is, is, is the sort of understanding uh, across the United States of the ways in which you might refer to a carbonated sweetened beverage. <laughs> uh, so, you know, some people say it's pop, some people say it's soda, some people say it's Coke. Uh, so depending and Sorry if I missed out on what you thought, <laughs> um, but there's a, a variety of different ways, and that's sort of the the regional differences um, in the ways that just just here in America, and and, and that we that we kind of use um, our cultural communities uh, to identify those speech codes, um, and that we sort of uh, adopt as our own. And people can use many different um, cultural communication practices to sort of index their participation in particular speech communities, if you will. Um, so that includes accent. Right? So we know we know instantly when we hear sort of a New York accent, for example, or a Southern <laughs> accent, the language selection. So are you saying pop? Are you saying soda? Uh, are you saying Coke? Um, you know, how do you refer to, uh, you know, crawfish or crayfish or crawdads or, you know, do you call them fireflies or lightning bugs? Um, you know, so that can also be an indicator of sort of our or cultural identity, if you will, when it comes to, com uh, to, to communication practices. 
uh, and conversational styles as well. So ref this refers to the aspects of directness and intonation in your speech um, and sort of the ways in which we engage in conversation. So they're really kind of two primary um, sort of ways that the conversational styles and one is sort of the, the, the conversation we're having now, which is, you know, I'm speaking and then I will pause and then you will have offer your viewpoint and then I will respond. Um, and there's another uh, conversational style that's termed sort of more as an interruptive style where I'm talking and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is an amazing thing. And then I'm like, oh yeah. And then we're jumping on, we're jumping over one another into one another's sentences and overlapping. Um, and for some people that's completely normal and natural. For others, it's a great insult uh, to their to their conversational style, and that's really again an example of the cultural communi communication practices, those speech codes, and the groups and the and the the culture in which we we find ourselves um, communicating. Wonderful so, thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. So, how can we um, use psychology to our advantage as we're uh, trying to to navigate uh, this this landscape? Uh, this is so fascinating to me because really it's it's using the way the brain works in order to um, understand the 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 triggers and the ways in which we can be most effective communicators. Um, so adapting the conversation to the interests, the level of understanding, the attitudes and beliefs is really important to the psychology of communication. Um, and so thinking about um, the, the the way that the brain works. So we have sort of the primal the primal system, which is sort of right there in the in the middle of our brain, um, and that sort of drives drives our, our, our sort of fight or flight risk, right? So that is sort of the, the inherent, the primal piece of our, of our, um, of our brains that determine whether we're going to like make instinctual decisions. Then mm -hmm. we have the limbic system, which really responds to the more emotional side of things. So, you know, emotional drivers, we were talking about that a bit earlier. So people feel, you know, when they're emotionally driven, it's 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 a really challenging, um, oftentimes a communication uh sort of system that we find ourselves in because um, people are so deeply motivated and that's sort of deeply embedded in the brain. Um, and so trying to, to reach to somebody on an emotional level, um, it takes takes a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of patience to do that. And then we have the neocortex on the outside, uh, which is sort of the, the kind of bulk part of our brain. And that really focuses on the ways in uh, which we make sort of make more strategic decisions. So that are more rational based um, that are kind of, you know, we're one fact finding um, that to help more rationally make make decisions um, and respond in communication. Um, so really, it's about understanding the ways in which the brain work and then developing our communications accordingly. So for some of you who may be uh, familiar with Simon Sinek, he's a super fantastic um, motivational speaker, author, um, all sorts of, uh, of amazing, uh, you know, descriptors. Um, and he has a fantastic video out there um, that's called The Golden Circle. Um, and it really talks about acting, thinking, and communicating from the inside out. And it uses this brain, the the sort of the, the physiology and, and the ways in which our brains are structured to communicate effectively with our audiences. So really putting the why at the center, what is our purpose? What's our motivation? What do we believe at the core messaging of what we're trying to accomplish. Then you talk about the process after that, because then it's talking about the emotional side of things. And then at the end, it's what's your result. So what are you trying to do? What's the result and why? So if you look at that um, sort of 
that circle, that that golden circle, as he calls it, it really, in a lot of ways, um, mimics and, and and mirrors the way in the ways in which our brain is set up with that limbic system, or excuse me, the primal system, the limbic system, and the neocortex. Um, so it's a fascinating uh, video. Uh, I highly encourage you to YouTube it. The quality isn't that great because it's an old, it's an oldie but goodie. Highly recommend. <laughs> That's awesome, and, and something that kind of struck me just uh, listening to you sort of explain the 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 primal part of our brain and how that impacts how we receive information. I think, um, especially over the last couple of years, I think we can all uh, relate to um, dealing with folks who are really living in that that primal reaction because um, obviously what we we're dealing with was, was so serious and, and there were such um, strong opinions on, on every side of the issue. And so I think that is uh, such a great point and, and so important to bring up because you can't communicate successfully if you disregard sort of what's going on in, in your audience's mind on a very visceral level. Mm, absolutely. So finally, as we're, as we're wrapping up um, this great conversation, uh, I think uh, something that we, we discussed earlier is um, sometimes the best course of action uh, is to just say nothing at all. We've, we've talked a lot about, you know, talking and, and what we say and how we say it. Uh, let's unpack a little bit just this, the, the value in maybe not saying anything at all. Mm, absolutely. This is such a, such a, a counterintuitive uh, thought, uh, you know, kind of concept for us as, as communicators. Um, but so often we find ourselves in a place where we're not able to definitively give a response or we need some time in order to contemplate the response or get the approvals for the response or just to find out the information that, that we need to convey. Um, and so it's really about identifying the ways that we can create some space for ourselves when we're engaging with folks who who are expecting a, a response from us maybe more immediately than we're prepared to give. Um, so it's creating space. So it's allowing yourself the opportunity to, to, to make space. Um, it's also about um, being clear about the fact that you, you value their, in, their conversation, you value their engagement, um, and that you're going to get back to them at some point. So some examples of ways that we can respond to a conversation or a comment or um, you know, whatever it might be um, without actually committing to a decision. Um, some placeholders here, and I'm sure you all are thinking of, of some times where you've needed to use these yourself, but um, there's one example would be, oh, well, that is a great question. Uh, unfortunately, I'm running to a meeting right now. Can I get your information and get back to you later this week or, you know, tomorrow or whatever the case may be? So what we're doing here is we're complimenting them. Great question. People love to be complimented. Um, and unfortunately, I'm just running to a meeting. So whether that's entirely accurate or not, um, <laughs> but what you're needing to do here is to create some space for yourself, right. right? So you're not prepared. You know that that from that question that you are not prepared to provide an, a response immediately. So I'm running to a meeting or, you know what, I, I, I'm about to jump on this phone call or I have an appointment, whatever the case may be. Can I get your information and get back to you later this week? So you're asking them for information, their, their contacts, and then you're also definitive about when you're planning to get back to them and make sure that you do that. Right. So you could mm -hmm. either, you know, reply to them when you first have a second and just say, hey, thanks so much for for your conversation. And as mentioned, I'm, I'm looking into this and I'll get back to you later this week or whatever the case may be. So the communication being proactive in, in your response is really important. Um, 
Another possible example of sort of saying it best when you say nothing at all uh, is I'd be really, I would really like to talk to you about this when I have more time to do so. Would it be possible mm -hmm. to connect on this again, you know, before the end of the month or, you know, next week or whatever the case may be. So again, letting them know that it's, this is a topic that's important to you and you want to make the effort to connect with them, um, but you don't have the time at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. So again, getting, comp getting a time on the schedule, getting their content information, whatever that might be, and then being definitive about the time frame for, for re-engaging. Another example might be, oh, I'm so glad that you brought this up. Uh, this topic has been the subject of several internal discussions recently, um, and I want to make sure I'm providing you with the most accurate or updated information. So what's a good way to get back to you on this? Um, so letting them know that, hey, this is a topic that we've been we've been dealing with, too, and we have it hasn't gone unnoticed. And you're right there with us. Like we're all thinking about these the same topic together um, and that you want to make sure that you're getting back to them in a timely manner. But you also want to get them the most updated and accurate information, whatever the case may be. Um, so letting them know, um, again, like trying to get their content information or getting back to them in a timely manner is important. Uh, another option could be, could you tell me more about your perspective? I want to mm -hmm. make sure I fully understand so I can provide you with or seek out the most appropriate information. So mm -hmm. this is a, 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 a tactic where I, I find is helps a lot. And this is kind of goes back to psychology a little bit too, right? When you're asking people to help you understand, I found mm -hmm. that that's a really great tactic to the, that kind of diffuses situations a little bit because they think, oh, well, maybe this person's not so bright and that's okay. They can think whatever <laughs> they want, uh, but ultimately what you're trying to do is engage them in that conversation, right? So you're being inclusive. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're setting the, the, the table for, for the, the ongoing conversation and the engagement and then an authentic way um, so that they feel that they're being heard and that you are also getting a, a, your fact finding at this point, right? So you're mm -hmm. gathering additional information about their views and their perspectives so that you can best respond to them or then take that information back to whomever needs to know. So then you can uh, help to craft a, a response or, or address that issue um, more uh, pointedly with, with accurate information directly from a stakeholder. Um, and then one other might, uh, example I might give is, um, would you mind explaining your viewpoint in more detail so I can better understand? Uh, thank you. I'll bring this up at the next meeting and get back mm -hmm. to you. So again, asking asking for additional context, letting them know that you need help understanding, and then also letting them know, well, what's next? Like, okay, yeah, I'm this your this information has been really insightful and useful, and I'm going to make sure that this gets back to the, those who are the decision makers or those who might be responsible for the next steps or the calls to action um, so that, again, they feel that their voice is heard, that it's an inclusive um, conversation, and that's authentic in ways um, that would be meaningful to them. I think that's great. You know, it, it's, it's seeking to understand people because they want to be heard. They want to be understood. And, and it also, you know, gives you a chance to be intentional back to the four tenets that we talked about, uh, be intentional, certainly well-researched, getting people the answers that they're, they're seeking, but also um, you don't ever want to be in a position where uh, you're, you're scrambling or feel pressured to just say something, to say something. And that, that can absolutely just break down communication because it's so easy to say the wrong thing. Absolutely. And another tip I would give, and you know, we, I'm sure we are all aware of this as, as experts and, and professionals, but never respond to a hypothetical. Uh, mm -hmm. So oftentimes folks will try and, well, what if this happens? Or, you know, what would you do with this? And I'm, oh, I always just say, you know, that is 
that is not the reality we find ourselves in or um, you know whatever wh whatever your your response would be is you know we don't we don't typically address hypothetical situations um just be really straightforward about it because there's no better way to find yourself in a really tricky situation um than to try mm -hmm. to respond to a hypothetical and then it gets taken out of context or gets blown up as if oh well this may be something that coming down the pike um right. so yeah another piece would be never to respond to a hypothetical absolutely well wonderful wonderful information i just had a great time great conversation unpacking this idea of, of civility in crisis and i think um i think we've all learned a lot i think i earned a, a second master's degree so thank you sarah <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh my pleasure uh it's just, it's been a, it's been lovely speaking with you stacia thank you for the opportunity absolutely and and before we go if people want to um reach you how how can they do that Yes, uh, the best way to find me um, is drop me an email, uh, sbcorporateconsultancy at gmail.com. Um, and you could also text me or call me. I'm happy to talk shop all day long. My number is 828-989-8739. Great. Thank you, Sarah and audience. I will leave that contact information uh, in the description box below. Sarah Broberg, president of SB Corporate Consultancy. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I really had a great time chatting with Sarah and letting her uh, share her very, very well-researched thoughts on civility and crisis. I think it is a topic that really we all can relate to, whether it's personally or professionally or both. And I think she provided some great thoughts, great insight, and most importantly, really some actionable steps that school PR practitioners can take to essentially get their, their school communications to uh, the next level, to be able to overcome these significant challenges. We certainly appreciate Sarah's time today. Well, if there are any topics that you'd like us to cover, please drop us an email. You can send that to ncsprosocial at gmail.com. Have a great day. Thanks to Blackboard for their support of this episode of School PR Drive Time.